Hi y'all, this is Stephanie Kimu, and welcome back to the Angry Africans podcast. This podcast is about Black anger and what it's done for all of us. So I'll be in conversation with my favorite angry African thinkers, creatives, and activists from the continent and the diaspora to get to know why they mad and what they're doing about it. Cannabis culture is Black culture. And in this episode, I explore the depth of that truth. Because even with today's very white and very wealthy cannabis industry, it's critical that we include the story of how Black liberation and cannabis have historically been linked. For me, cannabis is a ritual. Cannabis is a practice. And it's definitely a portal to rest and creativity. It's an herb that's also been consumed by my ancestors for hundreds of years. Yet, the stigma of consuming cannabis in a black body has been a huge barrier for use, especially amongst Afro-descendants. And this is by design, because as we know, cannabis has traditionally been at the center of the policing and imprisonment of black folks. And of course, this is tied to race and racist policies, which hunted down and labeled black people as criminals, poor parents, and government leeches, all in support of the ideology that when black people use cannabis, bad things happen. But for many black people, reclaiming our space in the cannabis culture is necessary and it's our right. One of those people is Menle. Menle is a writer, creative, and entrepreneur who has been molding her creative vision and bringing it together with her love and respect for cannabis into Chula, the beautiful brand which she co-founded that infuses ancestral herbal knowledge and modern scientific understanding into each CBD product they offer. Menle and I discussed the anthropological connections that prove Black people have always consumed cannabis. She tells me how she likes to enjoy her weed and the honest highs and lows of launching a new cannabis brand as a Black person during a global pandemic. I'm so excited for y'all to hear this episode. And of course, happy 420. My goodness, Menle, welcome to the Angry Africans podcast, 420 edition. 420 edition. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. You're definitely somebody that inspires me in so many ways. You have so many modalities of how you bring things into the world. You are an author. You're the author of The Art of Weed Butter, which I have downloaded to my Kindle. Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> I should say Menle is also a Liberian Ghanaian American from Staten Island. And so we're going to go back and forth in very many vernaculars. You're also the co-founder of the hemp brand Trula. And this is going to be, I, I want to know about, your, this seems like your seminal life's work in this brand. It's beautiful. It's representative. It's clearly inclusive. And so understanding that you've been in the cannabis industry since 2005, um, you're 
inherently kind of a pioneer for all us Black girls and femmes who are trying to get into the cannabis industry adjacent to it. And so your visibility is our visibility. And we are so excited to welcome you to the podcast. I truly am excited to be here. I think this intersection is rare and special. And so I'm I'm happy to explore what that looks like. One of the biggest things that I've been angry about in my life around cannabis is the idea that I never had an education around it so I can have my own decisions, Mm. make my own, have my own perceptions and make my own decisions. And I really want to understand in your perspective, what and who shaped your very early understanding of what cannabis could be for you? Um, Mm. Like I said, before we started recording, I'm from Côte d'Ivoire. I was born there. So I'm an African immigrant who's grown up in the United States. My parents are very Catholic conservative. So I just knew it would be something I could overdose on. If I was found with it, I could go to jail and be deported. And so there were all these scare tactics around cannabis. And I want to know, what were your very early understandings and kind of influences? It's so complex because I think my mother, who is, she's the Liberian Ghanaian matriarchy and was a single mother. She raised my sisters and I, like you said, in Staten Island, but then we also moved outside of Baltimore for many years, um, I guess the formative years of my life. And she was so busy and I think so pure. And we were also thus so pure that there wasn't really this like intense conversation around weed or an intense um, experience, right. Surrounding it, even though outside of Baltimore, you would think, right. <laughs> There's, there are a lot of things popping off in Baltimore in the late eighties, early nineties. Unfortunately, fortunately, that's a whole other aspect and thread of, of, I think culture, especially when it comes to cannabis. But for me, I think my initial understandings were very, um, introspective because, I was hiding it. (laughs) The stigma did exist in my family, right? I had to be good. I was the oldest. I still am the eldest of four girls. Did everything right um, because I grew up in an African, an immigrant African household, right? Like that, there's no other way. And it felt, um, it felt good to be that person and to be that sort of mini leader in my family. But because of that, I held my cannabis use to myself. Um, I started smoking, For the first time, and it only happened maybe once a year because I was a baby, if you really think about it. I was 15 and I was outside of a roller skating ring with some people that were grown. (laughs) I shouldn't have been hanging with them, but was with some friends who knew them. And, you know, I think for them, they wanted to hook up. They wanted to flirt. And I was I love to flirt. I love to hook up. Don't get me wrong. But at that moment, I just was more interested in experiencing this herb. Anyway, I say all this because when I consume cannabis for the first time outside of that roller skating ring, it brought me right into my head. It brought me into my body. I felt very like insular. And it was just me and this relationship that was new and this experience that was so new. Um, and so I guess that was the way that I understood how it worked. And that was that initial experience. I think. I'm saying a lot. I think, um, you know, obviously black culture in the 90s 
was so beautifully intertwined with cannabis when you think of fashion and like music and you know, even the subcult, the sub subculture of like the hotep, like soul slash weed head in black culture in the 90s was so good and so beautiful that, again, it, it, it reinforced something that I think was was good and introspective rather than being scary and, and dangerous. Wow. You are a unicorn. <laughs> Most niggas I know start smoking as a group it is they are only doing it to be outside of their bodies outside of their heads and they want to jump into the heads and the bodies of everyone else around them so they're doing things they're smoking things and that's how I got introduced to it and it is a communal thing I think that's the most beautiful part about weed is that it brings people together um, absolutely. A hundred percent. But I think it was more of like my understanding of it was, yes. Yeah, so, so introspective. And mind you, I'm very ruled by Mercury, five planets in Gemini, one in Virgo. And so it's like all in my head. Probably there's some sort of psychosis that hasn't been discovered yet, but like everything's just in there. And so it kind of makes sense. Maybe perhaps that it was an introspective experience initially. That's so beautiful. I, feel like you were able to experience cannabis for the first time the way I experience it now. Because my first time was, oh, these niggas in the dorms are smoking. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that, too. That's kind of also, I think, in its own merit, a rite of passage. And (laughs) you're giving me the like, yes, but also no. (laughs) (laughs) I lost part of my narrative. You know what I mean? Like your narrative, you have a paper trail. It's you have this moment where you got back into your body. It took me a long time to like smoke cannabis by myself, which actually leads me to my next question. What's your current relationship with it? Because is it still very introspective? Does it help? Can Does cannabis help you be more extroverted? Um, how are you? How are you experiencing it in your body nowadays? You know, it is so infused into my system, into my endocannabinoid system. It's just who I am. I am weed. (laughs) Obviously, I smoked. No, I think, um, you know, the frequency and the methods in which I consume change and fluctuate here and there, right? I think I definitely incorporate a lot more CBD and herbal applications now that with the brand and with my understanding of how that works, I like to add it in, um, especially rolling up some herb. The the kind of tactical tradition that I love about it. It's very ritualistic, but like we were talking about earlier, sometimes you don't want to be so fucked up. Sometimes you just don't want to be that blazed before you have to go into a spreadsheet and like put in some numbers. Sometimes you need like a little chamomile or a little rose or a little like blue lotus just to kind of calm it and still give you that feeling of of calm, but you have the focus, right? To just to bop, 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 plug that in a little bit more efficiently. Um, and also I think going back to your question, um, how I see it and what the relationship is like is, is also this relationship where though I'm not making millions of dollars in six figures, it has provided for me legit since 2005, like nothing else has paid my bills, fed me, taken me on vacation. You know what I mean? Like housed me, um, allowed me to move across 
across borders, et cetera, um, like jaw has provided. Right. And so weed has definitely been um, a source of income, like a type of medicine. It's a practice. It's an art form. Right. It inspires me to research and just educate myself. Um, It's been like a very interesting vehicle, I think, in terms of how my passion and again, my life work all intersects. But yeah, I'm just like a walking stem of weed. You're introducing to this nuanced conversation, ritual and practice and spirituality. That's what was missing when I first started dabbling in cannabis was the idea that this could be a portal to a new spiritual realm for you where there's meditation, there's breath work, there's all these adjacent and accompanying and and really robust things that you can add to your cannabis ritual. And that changed my life. You know, I'm a much happier person and happy people cause less harm. I cause very little harm in the world. You know what I mean? Which is an accomplishment in its own right, you know? Yes. I wonder, you know, you saying that you, it is you. I'm starting to feel like I'm embodying the essence of what cannabis means. And Mm. I I have tried bongs. I have vapes. I have, I have even that out at home like mason jar bong, bro. Like mm-hmm. the, the old school one with the screw. Um, but there's nothing like rolling up some roll like some nothing papers. like it. Like, is that your go-to nowadays or are you tinctures? I know you got the bomb tinctures. I'm still waiting to get my life together and put in my next order for Chula. But the tinctures, oh my gosh. The audience can't see the face that I'm giving, but I'm giving you the the African auntie side eye. You know, I'm going to just send it to you. My go-to, I'm a flower girl. I love to roll you see me. I love to smoke. I love the, it's both like, it's sexy. It's romantic. It's, it's like, it's pensive, you know? And you got that moment, you know, like with the fur, the burled eyebrows or furled eyebrows. And you're just kind of thinking about shit. You're in your head. You're thinking. I do again, like to accompany the, it with sometimes tinctures, um, almost to kind of like a way to massage the other elements of my endocannabinoid system, but work as a way to like block out those hard edges of THC. You know, when you're just feeling a little too turnt, um, a little too introspective even, and you just kind of need to jump out and get some things done. But that's been my go-to. Absolutely. How are you feeling about bongs? I have one. I'm sitting next to one in my studio closet, actually, and I haven't unwrapped it in almost a year. So that's probably how I feel. I think, <laughs> I think what I do like about them is the way it kind of sits. If you have like a bigger one, it can kind of sit in your lap and you just don't really have to move. You just kind of like put your face over it and like, you know, it comes up. You don't have to move. It just feels very comforting for people who like, I don't know, weighted blankets or objects on you, stones, etc. Like there's an element to that. Um, and I think, they're cute. They're better for your lungs also. Um, it's just having that like water vapor, but yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That visual of a weighted blanket in front of a fireplace with your, my bong in my lap. Oh my God. 
That's amazing. And you said something earlier I want to kind of circle back to about the 80s and 90s and how beautifully intertwined cannabis was with Black culture. Like it, it, it was fluid. There wasn't a binary. It was on a spectrum of use and the way people were enjoying it. And and during those years, there was the the policing and imprisonment and the, and the true stigmatization of the war on drugs. Like the war on, I I kind of thought about this this morning. Cannabis during that era was like the black girl. Cannabis right now is a blonde white woman. Like that's how they are treating cannabis. You know what I mean? And with cannabis being so beautifully intertwined with black culture during that time and historically, how how is it that we're being erased from this trillion dollar cannabis industry right now? You would think the idea of reparations would at least show up in the cannabis industry because of what black people have gone through. And so I want to know what your opinion is about yeah, cannabis culture is black culture and a lot of shit happened to us. And where do we go from here to kind of reclaim our space? Like, that's an excellent question. You know, I think going back to what you initially said, there, there was that very beautiful intersection of black culture and cannabis and, and the hotep scene and the soul scene and the neo soul vibe, um, and it was right as it was right that that very fertile, beautiful moment right before crack, right? The bend, like right before it really, I think, deteriorated um, so many communities like that was kind of where the height was. Right. I think we can look back, but late 80s, early 90s in that spot. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's both bittersweet. But when I think about the relationship that as Africans throughout the diaspora, modern and ancient have with herb, it's just, it's so, again, it's so infused with us, right? Uh, I want to say that it was maybe a thousand years ago, cannabis sort of came to Africa as a continent um, at that period. And it was obviously something that's native to China, at least as far as the documentations that we know says, and that we have says, but it came a thousand years ago to the continent of Africa, um, I think to Madagascar and then like later the Mediterranean coast. But there is archeological evidence that is, you know, it, it erased so much of like this, the black indigenous voices. Um, and it swaps it for these colonial perspectives that it, it's just like the looting and the theft and the destruction of, of that deep history we have. Um, when you, I guess, take all that away because it's been so erased, we do have like these oral traditions kind of capsulated, right? I guess you could call it like language geography. And that suggests that we have like such a deep understanding of the plant development in terms of creating something that is more psychoactive to the brain. Um, and that came with smoking that came with using it um, in different ways, kind of evolved, like it evolved, I think essentially in the continent of Africa after coming from China. And so there's this book written by a white man, but you know what? I thank you for writing it. Um <laughs> It's called A Brief Agricultural History um, of Cannabis in Africa. And it goes from prehistory to like this Canna colony era. 
Um, but something that I think was really important that he brought up is just that. Wait, hold on to me. <laughs> it's that we have such a deep connection to it. And as a species of a plant, it's been developed in this continent. And yet we don't think about it in that way. We think about it when it comes from Jamaica or when it comes from the islands, but almost skip a step, right? Between China and, and Africa, this, this massive continent that has the original peoples, right? That has the um, very ancient, innovative practice of agri agriculture and botany. And so I think I'm going on a tangent, but there's this very rich and ancient tradition of us both smoking it and cultivating it. Um, and that is a very sad thing to not remember, you know, as we oh move forward. So but with all the things that we don't remember, it's mm -hmm. by design. Right. I think we've been by design erased from the history of cannabis and how our ancestors have used it to ensure that we bought into the criminalization of our black bodies with cannabis. And, and we, I mean, I know our community has internalized this. That's why I still, you know, it's going to be still a little uncomfortable for me to put this podcast episode out. I kind of tell people I, I smoke on people, anyone who knows me in my real life knows what cannabis, the role cannabis plays. I kind of talk about it on my social media in passing, but largely it is a very, guarded part of my life because my biggest thing is if my family and my clients and people, especially professionally around me, understand my daily use of cannabis, they may begin to judge me and believe I'm not able to do the things I say I'm going to do. And then it, and then it hit me though, all of the things that people worry about cannabis users not doing is like, we're, uh, we're buying into capitalism. You, they're not going to show up to work. They're not going to work in this way. They're not going to deliver in this way. They're not going to be able to they show up to the deadline. <laughs> they want to eat lunch <laughs> for more than 15 minutes. You know, like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's like, why are we all so scared of saying, yes, cannabis for me amplifies my desire to rest or write or sit the fuck down. No, it doesn't always propel me towards deadlines and writing reports and looking through log frames. And so it, it hit me like, what a scam. All of us are trying to, to hide the benefits that we find cannabis has in our lives from our professional colleagues, from our families, when in fact, the only thing anyone's worried about is how we are engaging in capitalism. <laughs> like that's why they don't want at this point, I believe that's why everyone is kind of like, I don't want my boss to know. I don't want my colleagues to know. You know what I mean? I don't know. I feel like we need to talk more about how cannabis is is so good for resting and how no one wants black folks to rest. <laughs> I have evidence that shows <laughs> that it's not about productivity, right? And I think the evidence that I'm quote, that I'm talking about are the people that I know in my life who are reporters for very important magazines, folks who are 
founders of businesses, consultants, politicians who are consumers of cannabis. And so, like you said, it's not necessarily this idea of like what you can get done in the sense of productivity, but it's like the fear of what, again, that introspective moment teaches us about what's important in life and being fearful of that being not working in the way that you want me to being having more agency over my body and the desire to rest and the necessity, you know, to rest my brain and my body um, more so than this very small allocated time that I'm allowed. And I think uh, it's it's going to be one of the biggest challenges, right? This the stigma that we have surrounding quote unquote production um, and cannabis consumption, or even going back to what you said, this, this creative element, you know, can, you can be kind of creative on cannabis, but, um, and you can maybe intertwine that with meditation and, and mindfulness practices and even breath work, but there's still that stigma that makes it feel like, oh, but, you know, be careful because, a, B, C, D might occur, you know? Well, it's also Black women and femmes, especially. There's already a stigma we carry without being cannabis consumers. So the stigma is laziness, bad attitudes, anger, you know, con- we're very contrarian. All of these different tropes around Black women and femmes. And then when you add cannabis consumption, now it's, not being responsible, being even lazier than you were before, leaning in in on social services, not taking care of your kids, putting things in jeopardy. There's always this fear of you are going to do something and put everybody in danger, you know, because of the tropes of Black womanhood and femdom. So I just also feel like we experience this additional layer of stigma because of our gender and our sex, actually. And I wonder, what? how do you talk to Black women and femmes about cannabis? How do you make, how do you turn, <laughs> turn them into believers, you know? Because um, I know, we all know as Black, as Black women and femmes, another Black woman or femme who is like, oh my gosh, cannabis? Oh, no, 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 my baby. No. Um, and so what do you say to them? What do you say? What do you, how do you explain the benefits? I think it is or it has rather always been this level of just being an example. Um, and it goes back to being the eldest daughter, probably, you know, talking later to my psychotherapist, she'll probably say the same thing. But it's that idea of you can't really preach anything to anyone, you know, and it's not really in my nature to be <clears throat> to stand on a soapbox and sort of like tell it how it is. But I think through my experience and still being present um, and being a place where people can ask questions, you know, and and feel curious and excited and kind of come to me with those sort of things. Like it's more of on, it's more on that basis, but I think just continuing to live my life in a very corny, authentic way while having this very strong relationship to cannabis has been hopefully um, a guidance and has been hopefully something that galvanizes 
you know, other people to feel like it's okay. You know, I still have a healthy relationship with my family, with my partners, um, with work, right. With, with being able to care and take care of myself. And I, I hope that just even witnessing that alongside me um, is enough proof and like evidence that this is a good path and that this is something inherently for us. The whole time you were talking, I was like free, like getting free, like liberation. And when I, what, it, how, how would you in a sentence or two explain to someone how cannabis impacts your black liberation? allows me to, again, just be my full authentic self. But the liberating elements come from, you know, this spectrum of cannabis. Like it isn't just this thing that gets you high. It's a plant. It's a source, like I said, of income. It's a medicine. It's it's botany. It's science. Um, it's art. And so I think when I am able to consume cannabis and and use it as a vehicle to educate myself about how I liberate myself and why I need to and and how I've been sort of, quote unquote, in shackles, <laughs> you know, like kind of really laying out these points and the, these receipts. I think cannabis can do that because, again, I'm I'm opened to this thing. I think my perspective is open to the idea of recognizing where there are faults and where there's a need to um, kind of break from what society tells me I need to do because I'm already smoking weed. I'm already doing the worst of the worst of the worst being, you know, a black woman. So if I'm not able to liberate myself at that point, um, yeah, I don't know how else I would. I recognize my own interrogations about liberation. And I always say, I want to be free from my triggers. I want to be free from my anxieties, my traumas. I want to be free from those things. And I find that when I consume cannabis in the way that's best for me, I'm able to find pockets every day of introspection and meditation and tarot pulling and journaling that allow me, I feel like I'm getting so much closer to all to liberation from all of those things. And, and cannabis has been a portal to so many parts of my psyche, my ethos, my assumptions, and... It's so sad that I haven't had the fullness of the benefits of cannabis in my life until this moment. This is my first full conversation about it. And I'm happy I, I'm doing it with you because you, you are such an example of being a Black person in the cannabis industry over a decade, almost two decades ago. Damn, I'm old. <laughs> It's such an honor to be here and, and talk to you because I think these conversations, though they seem like they're happening all the time, are few and far in between. And, you know, going back to what you're saying, herb and weed and mota and marijuana and daga is a tool to help us unpack and see our true self and see where we exist in this world and how, you know, we can do our life work and how we can do better, fuck, <laughs> and how we can just actually chill a little bit more. You know, you're doing the most, sit down. And so, yeah, it's, 
it's one of the most beautiful tools to that. And I think, again, that's why as black folks, we are so inherently connected to weed. Um, I read somewhere that some of the reason why a lot of people were using cannabis, I think in South Africa, um, was because it was like this way to rest and take ease from this intense level of colonialism. I mean, that's everywhere. It's, it's global. It's a global sickness, you know, um, that has unfortunately plagued our, our globe, right? Col- 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 fucking colonialism. I can't even say it because I'm just like, <laughs> um, but right, I think <laughs> it's just too much. But I think again, right, we've been using it for centuries to free ourselves from that, even in the moments in history where we are, where we have been like just saturated with it. Um, even then it was a tool to be able to kind of free ourselves from that. And so it makes beautiful sense that we are also doing it now, but hopefully in a way that um, it's just like a, at a higher level, you know, no pun intended, but just, but just elevated. <laughs> now I'm going to get corny on you. I love to see it and hear it, but I feel like that elevation is what you bring to Chula. This is a beautiful brand that you co-founded and you are infusing ancestral herbal knowledge with modern scientific understanding of this herb into every product you offer. I tell the girl, let us teach us how, how did you get to this point of, of, being a co-founder of a brand in this industry that is inherently leaning towards the white and the wealthy in terms of entrepreneurs. How, walk us through your, your entrepreneurial journey. Yes. It's, it's been a long journey for a long time. I was a consultant and did some, you know, cannabis journalism, creative elements, um, obviously wrote the cookbook, but it wasn't until I moved to Mexico City and met my co-founder, friend, partner, Karina, that the two of us just recognized we have this deep desire and respect for weed, period, punto, right? And what was fascinating was that her and I were just having like some sort of discovery download early on in our stages of a friendship. And Mexico also has this very deep, I mean, maybe even to the level of when you think of Chinese herbs and Chinese medicine, deep connection to herbal care, to herbal knowledge. I mean, you go to a mercado, there's herbs there, there's the there's the like bruja, there's everything you need to um, be able to heal and care for your body and your and your mind just all there. And so it made perfect sense to try to bring cannabis and, and specifically hemp and hemp cannabinoids that we use to the picture. Of course, when it comes to the legality and when it comes to legislation, we weren't able to launch in Mexico. So basically we met here in Mexico City. Um, we weren't able to launch in Mexico, so pivoted to the U.S., but also saw it as that opportunity to be a Black and Latina person coming into this industry, creating a brand during the pandemic that really brought together the modern scientific aspect of all these different cannabinoids that we're learning to use for our bodies. Um, and so what was the most 
rewarding was being able to use them specifically for our womb, right? For people who have wombs, bodies that bleed, that go through menopause, that go through PMS and hormonal imbalance, you know, why wouldn't we look to herb to also care for that? Um, so it's been, it's been a fucking wild, beautiful ride to be able to bring it to the market and to bring it to the general culture, I think in a way that, um, that feels like celebratory, right? It's, it's not only this thing that we're doing to like make money, but it's this thing to really celebrate the fact that again, black and indigenous Mexican folks of color, right. Have a deep connection to herb. And one of the herbs that we love the most just happens to be weed. Um, so it's been a journey and I'm really, I'm just really grateful to be in it. Oh my gosh. It's, <clears throat> it's a dream. I feel like even there are metrics of success that are rooted in white supremacy. We're putting those aside, but the idea that you are living every day with this herb as the center of all, like you said, all the ways that you're caring for yourself. And you get to do that on your own terms every day in the city you love with the people you love. What a success story you are in terms of black, black liberation. It, it's, you are tremendously successful. And I want to know what what would you say to a young Black person who is listening to this podcast and not knowing where they should start in their cannabis exploration? Would you tell them, you know, here's a website? Would you say, just try this strand? Like, how do you feel like Black people can dip their toe into the cannabis scene? I think it's really important and easy to connect with the people that you admire the most when it comes to that industry. Um, connect with them via IG, connect with them, email them. As I know it's tricky. A lot of folks are saturated. It might take a while to get to hear back from someone. But for me, even when it comes to um, this other element of my my career in the cannabis space, but like the research of plants in general, right? And sort of even culinary anthropology, I felt like I had to look to the people who knew what they were talking about, but also who I felt connected to because they they were doing what I wanted to do. There was there were parallels. So again, those people I think in your life are very important to connect to. Um, there's so much information out there. I'm I am floored that I can type in a weed strain and not feel like the feds are going to knock on my door in 15 minutes. You know, like that's that's my background in herb being very secretive, being because I had to be safe. Right. Um, when it comes to learning so much about botany and agriculture and and consumption, you know, a lot of that was kind of in the dark. And so that access that we have now is so powerful. And I, I say definitely go to that. But as far as groups, I mean, Canaclusive, one of my favorites when it comes to encompassing all the different all the different aspects of cannabis, whether it's um, advocacy, whether it's directly employing and connecting and networking to other black folks in the cannabis space. Um, Cannabis Workers Alliance slash union is also a very important, I think, 
outlet to reach out to. They're small. They're based in, they're only based in Portland. But I think as this industry continues to grow, especially as black folks, especially as angry Africans, it's good to know your rights as somebody who is working in the field and in the industry, um, because that will safeguard you from being paid less than what you should, right? To really knowing the ins and outs of like, what are these salaries? What are my rights? Um, et cetera. I think those are important. I could go on and on, but again, I think those, those three, we can start with that. And I mean, hit me up. I'm happy to respond, you know, four weeks later, but I will with some hyperlinks, like <laughs> with all the things and in the show notes too, like I'm happy to give you more resources for, for that area and that section of the, the podcast. And follow you. I feel like just when you find someone who you trust and you like and you see yourself within them, you can just go and see who they're following and find a lot of cool Absolutely. people. Yeah. Absolutely. And so to wrap up our interview, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. You are so brilliant. Um, I wanted to know, clearly you entered the cannabis industry because you were upset, angry. You had an emotional reaction to the idea that Black people, especially Black women and femmes, were not included in this space as much as we should be for how connected we are to this herb. Um, and thank goodness you felt that discomfort and you felt that anger because you exist in this space and you occupy that space beautifully. And I wonder in this season of your life, who is an angry African who's inspiring you? And I, I want to say, I, when I think about ang an angry African, I think a Black person, an Afro-descendant who was angry about something and took an action, <laughs> you know? And so I, I, I shared with you, I've had... Winnie Mandela on my heart a lot lately, but I want to know who's been on your heart. It's interesting because I was like the true nerd I am doing homework on this podcast and listen to almost every episode. And I wanted to kind of go back to, um, I think it was Sierra Constantinople. And it's not about cannabis. It's not about weed, but it's so potent in my mind right now. But it's just that y'all can't have black hair episode just really stuck with me. And, you know, especially as the Crown Act is sort of like passing through Congress or like going back and forth, wherever it is. Um, I just love that emphasism and that like <laughs> anger towards how our hair has been so colonized and policed and she was able to turn that into an art form and into a career and into work and into challenging moments where it's like do I do this person's hair in this way and what does that mean and I saw um I think a similarity in terms of how I view myself in the cannabis space. I, I saw that parallel and I just felt so connected to, again, her in that episode. Um, so I have to say that that's who in my, like randomly, but also in a very connective way, that's who my favorite, I think angry African would be this season of my life. <laughs> 